It's not really hard to know what the Bible means by something if you're just willing to do a little bit of research. So if you want to know what light means in the Bible, go on something like BibleGateway.com and just type in the word light and you'll get you know, 150 places where it appears in the Bible and just start reading the verses. How does the Bible use that word? How, how is it explained? How is it compared to Jesus or to God the Father or to us? And you start to build sort of like a biblical understanding. This is the basics of how we approach Scripture. When you want to know, I just ask that question, what does it mean to be light of the world? The way we would learn that is not by just saying, well, I think it means this. That's how we end up with bad theology. We say, what does the Bible say about this? So basic premise is that just saying, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus is not enough. It might be enough to be saved, but it's not enough to live. And it's not what Jesus calls us to. He said, make disciples and then teach them to obey everything I commanded you. So our existence, our, um, our, our life's work is just learn more and more and more all the time. Well, what does God say about things? And so it's the same way with light. But... The next level beyond that is to actually sit and talk about it with friends. Because I bet that when we ask that question there, some of you thought one or two of those things, but something that someone else said, how they perceived it, gave a new meaning to it. This is Bible study. This is a small group. This is when you gather with friends. Like, what did you get out of that? Like, That's amazing. We help each other find meaning in Scripture. But if you want to take it another level... You read scholars and theologians and commentaries that have been spending their entire life, their entire life's work might be just studying like ancient Near Eastern eating and home life. What kind of utensils did they use? How did they go about sleeping? Was there divided rooms or was there one big room and everybody slept in the same bed? And, and they've made that their life's work. And so when we get to a certain part of the Bible, we say, well, what are the other things we could know about this if we also had spent our entire life studying ancient Near Eastern culture? And then those things bring more meaning. And so I encourage you when you're, you're hitting questions, when you have big questions or small questions, say, first, what's the Bible say about it? Then get together with some friends, say, what can we discover in this? And then take it the next level. Do some research. Don't just Google. Find some commentaries. That's what we call them. All they are is just books written by researchers, scholars. They've spent their whole life studying one thing. And then when they share it, it's like, oh. You know, when I preach my sermons, I wasn't born knowing any of the things that I teach. I just learn them along the way and then share them. That's what a teacher is. So this week, I learned some new things that were fascinating to me in regards to Jesus in this moment. But it's not just because I know them, it's because I dug into them. And I think we have a lot of people here in this room that have done the first level. Like, I love Jesus. And they've even gone to the next level. What's the Bible say about this or that topic and done some research? And they've even gone to the next level and said, I want to get together with people and talk about Scripture and really get more out of it. I encourage you even to go to the next level because there's things that we'll never know unless we learn them from a professor or from a scholar that has gone a lot deeper than us. So me with my study group of commentaries this week in my office, we had a good conversation. They did most of the talking. I did most of the listening. And uh, they shared with me that in the Festival of Booths, Festival of Tabernacles, on the first evening, there was this huge ceremony called the Illumination of the Temple. I did not know about this. The illumination of the temple, they set up four 75-foot-tall candelabras, menorahs. 
And at the top of each one of these kind of candle-shaped posts, there were these bowls filled with kindling and wood, and they lit them on fire. And they had this huge illumination of the temple. And it went all night long, and all the musicians came. The priests danced and sang. The people partied and festival. It was in the court of women. So if you picture the temple, it has the big wall around, and the gent court of the Gentiles is kind of like the outermost, so non-Jewish people could come in that far. And then within the rectangular middle part, there's a first part, it's called the Court of the Women, and it's got this kind of like colonnade, portico, like porch that goes around it, and so you could stand in the porch area or be in the open courtyard, and then past that was the court of Israel, and then the court of priests, and then the Holy of Holies. So it's kind of this progression, and certain people were allowed in to different levels. But the court of women is inclusive of all the middle parts. It's all of Israel, men, women, children, but not Gentiles. But in this court of women, they set up these set four 75-foot-tall menorahs, candelabras, and they would light them on fire, and they would just celebrate and sing praises all night. And it was said, you know, people of that day who wrote about this, that the scholars have found these writings, said that the light lit up all of Jerusalem. Like the whole city on this mountain was just illuminated because of this light in the temple. And it was about, it was a tribute to the pillar of light that led Israel through the wilderness. It was a tribute to the fact that this temple is the center of God's holiness and his presence and his Shekinah glory that settles over this temple. It was a tribute to God being the light of the world. It was a tribute to Psalm 119. Your word, your law is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It was a tribute to the fact that God grants wisdom and light and clarity. It was all these things and it was just a party, an all night party. So if they look forward to this in Jesus' day and age, every year, this festival, and on the first night of it, there is this all-night bonfire, torches lit, lamps lit, people celebrating. What would it have meant if Jesus stood up the next day or possibly two days later and said, I am the light of the world? Wow. First of all, he didn't say, I am the light of Jerusalem. Right? That was the Israelite celebration of their God, and it lit up Jerusalem. Jesus takes it past that. We're going to read in, in John 8, he stood in the court of women. So those pillars would still be there. They weren't lit anymore. Some people thought that they were lit every night. There's like, you know, divided scholars. Some thought it was just one night. Some thought they kept going. But either way, they wouldn't have taken them down. So he's standing there in the court of women, surrounded by these four 75-foot-tall lamps, and saying, I am the light of the world. That to me just blew me out. I was so grateful to have come across that and to read it and to think, well, if Jesus isn't just talking about wanting us to like be bright lights in the darkness kind of thing, what more is he saying? He's saying, first of all, it isn't just the Jewish tradition and it isn't just the law of Moses that brought us to this point that will be the light to the world. It's going to be Christ as like the completion of that. And it isn't just for the inner circle of people. It wasn't just for the priests. It wasn't just for the men. It was in the court of women. So everybody who was an Israelite could participate and see. And you wonder why people were trying to stone him, right? Like he's standing up against these long-standing traditions saying, these are about me. And I'm going further than this has ever gone before. So... When we look at this, and we're going to read this together in just a second, we need to think about what does Jesus mean by light? 
What does it mean to be light? Light and darkness, just talk about those as concepts. But also then, what else does the Bible say about this light, and what does it mean for us? And then clearly, you know, how can we be the light, not just of New Hope, the light not just of Southeast, and not just even talking, how can we be light to the world? Because Jesus takes it in Matthew 5 and goes even further, and he says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So, uh, turn with me, if you haven't already, to John chapter 8. Let's read Jesus' own words, and, um, and then just continue. We'll read a few scriptures, put them together, we'll do our own study of the word light and how scripture uses it, and then think about what this means for us. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I'm going to read a few more verses, but basically this is just them saying, like, who are you to tell us this? And I'm not going to read the full context, but just so we can know more fully what he was experiencing, he got opposition right away as soon as he said this. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus said, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true and valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two men is true. Well, I'm the one who bears witness about myself and my Father who sent me bears witness about me. So it's a statement about the sentness of Christ. Um, it's a statement about law versus Christ. He says, in your law, you see it this way. And he's saying this festival, which is a law, a festival based on the law and the heritage of the Jewish people, says this, but I'm saying I am the light of the world. All right, so the basic statement, Jesus, he is the light. Okay, we got that. It's for the whole world. We got that. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So this light of the world is a progressive sort of thing. It's an action. There's a following involved. Light is not a stagnant sort of thing. Light goes out, right? The light that we see from stars was sent out, you know, like so many millions of years ago and it got to us, that sort of thing. Like light progresses. So light is actually action. That's involved in this meaning here. It, it involves Jesus and him going out. It involves people following. It involves how we walk. It is a counterpoint to darkness. So it is not in darkness. Light is the opposite of darkness. We'll think about that together in just a second. And then it says, Jesus says, but they will have the light of life. So this light is somehow life. It's life-giving. This light is actually, the way I think of it, is a way of life. Jesus' light is a way of life. It's a way to walk, a way to be. So what's light? Light is this illuminating thing. Light doesn't create anything, right? If you turn on a light, it doesn't create the things in the room. It just shows them for what they are. Light reveals. You turn on the light and then you just see where things are. Darkness, the opposite of that, the absence of light. Darkness then is either ignorance... We do not know, we cannot see blindness, so we stumble around in the dark just because you cannot see what's really there. 
or it's the opposite of light. It's blocking light. It's evil. It's wickedness. It's preventing the light from getting into a place. So those are our basic definitions. Light is revealing. It's clarity. It's truth. Because when you turn on the light, it's just true. There's chairs and there's people in this room. Darkness can be like, well, we don't know if there's chairs or people. Or darkness could be someone blocking all the light and saying, there are no chairs and people. It can be an active darkness or it can be an absence. These are basic definitions, but all of it happens within the context of a life. This is the light of life. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to live a lifestyle of light. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? I'm going to live this life out. It is going to be active. Light is going to go out from me. But I'm not actually going to like make things the way they are. I'm going to show things for what they really are. This is why when Jesus brings his light into us in a situation, we have those aha moments like, oh, and we feel guilty about something, but then we say, thank you for showing that to me, and we move on from that thing, or we start wrestling with something. That's good. It's just light. Or when we have a question, we pray for wisdom, and light dawns. like, oh, we'd get into a mess if I tried to walk out the doors through the middle here. Those are chairs. But if I just go five feet to the right, we're fine. It's a clear path. It's just light. Jesus shows his light and asks us to walk in the light and not walk in darkness. Like I said, a few scriptures we're going to read. Go back to John chapter 1. Let's build our theology of light and see what Jesus meant and see how we can be light as well. So John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. So we're back to creation again. And without Him, not anything was made that was made. In Him was life. This is Jesus. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. So this way of living, this Jesus way, is so light. It's the light for everybody. This is the way to live. This is the best way to live. This is the only way to live. It's the true way to live. And everything else that we come up with will be some version or approximation or falling short of his life. This light that comes into the world. Who is God? He loves us. We are sinners, but we can be saved. There's grace and new life. Like that comes in and gives us a life that we're meant to live. So... I love it. He says, I'm the light of the world and this light of life. But here it says, in him was life and life was light of men. This light is a lifestyle. It's a way of living. The Jesus way, the true way, the amazing way. So this light, it shines. It's active. It shines in the darkness in places where people are ignorant or evil. Where they just don't know or they don't want to know or they're opposed to. And this light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness cannot overcome light. That's why as believers, if we find ourselves in places where there's spiritual things against us, it's like, well, we may feel oppression, we may have things coming, but like we win if we're with Christ because he's the light. So you don't ultimately have to be afraid because greater is he who is with us than anyone else. So we find ourselves sometimes in dark places, but we're actually... We're the lantern that could get turned on. We're the one with the, the light in us. There is safety in this. The darkness cannot overcome it. Because once we see, then we see. It's true. It's, it's revealing. We're not blind anymore. And we're not opposing anymore. So verse 6 kind of talks about John the Baptist. Maybe this is something we could apply to ourselves as well. There was a man who was sent from God, whose name was John. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. I'd love for that to be our testimony. We're not the light, but we'd like to bear witness about the light. This Jesus lifestyle, this way, you'll never find anything like it because there is nothing like it. 
All the world was made through him and everything operates perfectly and we just get in tune with him. But it's not us. We're not the light. We bear witness. I love that. We could model ourselves after John the Baptist so well with that. Verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So that's the ignorant form of darkness. The world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. That's the opposition darkness. Like, no, don't tell me you're Jesus. We know who your parents are. Like, don't tell us that you're the Messiah. Like, the resistance. Ignorance and resistance. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, receiving the light, we're going to see how the next couple of passages, who believed in his name as the Son of God, he gave them the right to become children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh or will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this is the basic definition of salvation. We receive the light. We were born in darkness, which doesn't necessarily mean we were born like outwardly, intentionally, evil, wicked, mass murderer kind of thing. But it certainly means we're born ignorant because you couldn't know about God until he reveals himself to you. And if you want to do the like judgment of sins, none of us were born perfect. So although we might not be trying to live a wicked life, we certainly recognize that we cannot succeed without help. We will fail. And so the two forms of darkness we're born into by nature. And for all of us here, for all of your friends and family, everyone was just born in the darkness. And it's like the hospital has no lights in the maternity ward, and every baby is just born into the darkness. And they just spend their whole life in the dark, or someone takes them outside. They grow up a little bit, someone walks them outside, someone carries them outside, introduces them to the light. We need to be that. There is no salvation apart from that, like, aha moment, this life of Jesus, this light. This is the only way. This is the way to avoid the darkness in ourselves, to survive the darkness around us, to live a life that beams. All right, so now we flip. We'll go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Make sure I get my... Yeah, 2 Corinthians 4, 3. I'll start with verse 1 in chapter 4. This is Paul now writing to Christians. He's explaining this light concept and how we get it, how we use it, how we receive it. Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel or this good news is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world... That's Satan, but it also can be metaphorically, you know, the evil of this world, the ways of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So there's the darkness of ignorance, blindness of unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but it is Jesus Christ as Lord, meaning he's in charge, that surrender song that we sung before, like, God, Jesus, you're in charge, you're Lord. And ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
in the face of Jesus Christ. So the light shines out of the darkness into us. That's God initiating. He always reaches God pursues, shown into our hearts and gives us the light of the knowledge. So there's the revealing, the knowledge of the glory of God through the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this great treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. All right, two more. Flip back to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Hear Jesus' words again on this. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, a famous passage, you'll recognize it as soon as we read it. Uh, Matthew 5, 14. We're building our theology of light. What does the Bible actually say about light? How is it used? We're seeing that it's an action. We're seeing that it's a lifestyle. It's opposed to the darkness. We're seeing it's from God. It's for the world. All of us need it. And now Jesus takes his statement, which he made in the presence of those four gigantic lamps, and he turns it to all the common people out in the field. And he says in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we are light. We are active People living this lifestyle of light in the, in the presence of the world and the darkness around us, just watching us. And we're not trying to hide our actions. We're not trying to be Christians like only on our own time and in a way that will never like interfere with anyone else. We don't want to like pray over our food at work because we wouldn't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. We don't want to bring a, a Bible and put it on our desk at school because we wouldn't want someone to be uncomfortable. Like we're just living however we live. But we're not living for ourselves. We're doing this so that God gets glory. So people may see how we're living a life of light and that it's different than the dark and that it's better and it has somehow clarity instead of like blindness. And it somehow has goodness as opposed to wickedness. Like it's just a different, it's a qualitatively different life. That's how we're supposed to live. So that as our light is shining, people will see how we live and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Last passage, Ephesians. Flip on a little further on to the New Testament. Ephesians chapter... Is it five? Yes, five. Ephesians chapter five, verse one. And it's the last passage that we'll read. We'll like bring all these thoughts together and just think about what God is calling us to, to be and to do. Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God. That's action, that's behavior, that's speech, that's thought patterns. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or being covetousness, uh, greedy, um, was not even be named among you as is proper among saints. You know, people who have been redeemed, people, that, people of light. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. They're out of place. Like, they don't make sense in a place of light. That They're out of place. 
But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving amidst coronavirus. Thanksgiving amidst fear. Thanks, let there, instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let that be what identifies us to the world. For you may be sure of this, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetous, that is an idolater, you know, worshiping things, things we want and need, jealous of, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Like those are dark things. We're looking for light things. We're receiving the light and we're trying to live out the light. So let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness. That's key. It's not you were walking in darkness, but you were, like by definition, you were darkness. But now you are light. Not just that you do light things, you have become light, identity. So walk as children of light. There's the walk, but it's because that's who you really are. Not just trying to do good things. Like, who are we? Live that way then. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and everything that's right and everything that's true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And this takes me back to the first statement. It's not enough to just say, I love Jesus. Well, like, what does he want us to do and live like? What does a life of light look like? Well, that takes like thinking and trying and experimenting and failing and learning and talking. Like that. That's our pursuit. So learn what's pleasing to the Lord so we can live the light lifestyle of Jesus. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Again, light, right? Just shows things for what they are. And people may say to you, this is going to be great. Do this. Follow this. Take this. Uh, participate. Whatever. Like just think this way. But eventually the light comes and like, ah, that was bogus. That was just them. That was just a human thought pattern. It didn't turn out the way they said it was. And they promised me this, and what I got was this. So the light helps us know what works, what doesn't, what's dark, what's light. So expose those things. Light, please expose it. Uh, for it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it just becomes visible. So it didn't make it. It just shows up. Anything that becomes visible is light. And therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So come from darkness to light. Arise spiritually. Look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Like darkness is around us. The light comes in. Darkness has not overcome it. We're walking as light. But make no mistake, the days are evil. We're supposed to be light in a dark time. So make best use of our days, because the days are evil. And don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul has his like mini list here of things that he say will lead you into darkness, things that are darkness. But this begs the, the point and, and makes the point that when the light comes to us, it comes to all of us differently. Because we're in different places and we're different people and struggling with different things. And if the light appears to someone in the Ukraine right now, it's going to look a different way because their context is a certain way and they need light for certain things. And if the light appears to someone who's struggling with a, a life-consuming addiction, it's going to appear as what's real, what's true, what's good, what's not, what's safe, what's wise, what's hopeful. 
It's going to be different. You know, some people, when the light will appear to them, it'll be in the terms of like knowledge. Like, oh, I always just doubted. And now these things start to make sense. So clarity in the mind. If you go to addiction, you can say, ah, light could come to someone just racked with this cycle of guilt and sin and repeat and guilt and sin and confess and repeat. And then the light comes in and says, this is the hamster wheel. Step here. Let me help you. And all of a sudden, then the light gave clarity. The light gave healing. Someone who's sick needs healing. Someone who's confused needs information. Someone who's asleep needs to be woken up. You know, the light comes in through the window. Light awakens us. And some of us are asleep sometimes. We get too busy in our lives, and we're like that third seed where you just get choked out by the worries of life. Somebody just need a wake-up call. And it's great. The light can be so many different things to different people. And the way that it goes to people can be in different forms. Serving someone is bringing light. It's an active shining of light into a thing. Make a meal. Write a card. Listen to someone. Sit and talk. Like you give that serve. That's light. But prayer is also light. Those prayers that we prayed before for our new members and for our decisions as a church body. Like we're actively putting light out. We're living in light. We're walking in light. Prayer is light. Serving is light. Our priorities, how we live, how we order our time, that's light. People say, why don't you do this? Or why are you doing this? Or what are you doing? Oh, I do this. Or oh, I can't come in till this because you know, I'm having a prayer meeting or I'm doing this. Like, what do you prioritize? Well, I couldn't take this time because I want to put my kids first or my spouse first. Or they're like, okay, our relationships, those are light. The opportunity to be light. They aren't always. But this is what Jesus is calling us too. And there's so many different ways that light will appear to different people because it's just going to illuminate where you are. And we're in so many different places. We need God's light to give us clarity. And the last point that I'll make is that I think there's a difference between just receiving the light and emanating the light. And, and I would like to challenge all of us to move past just receiving Christ's light to actually being lights in and of ourselves. What is it uh, in... Astronomy in space where this thing like sucks all the light in and none of it gets out. It's a black hole. Like some of us, I think, are black holes of God's light. <laughs> we're receiving all this light and we're just, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're shining me light on this place in my life where I'm struggling with fear or anxiety. Thank you for that. And then we wake up the next morning and we're like back in our fear and anxiety. Like we, we haven't gotten to a place where we're shining hope or peace because we're still just receiving light. What if our fear and anxiety became our shining light? We talked with people about how we trust God despite our fear and anxiety. Or what if God took us to a place, I was talking to Patrice earlier, and she was saying with her own health, she used to just be consumed with being worried about everything, but God has given her peace. So these days, this new Patrice, she's like, I just give it to God, and then I go to sleep and get a good night's sleep. I don't worry about it. And she's battling cancer. Like, that's, that's a big thing. And some people, when they're in that battle, don't have that peace. So she can be a light. Either by saying, I'm worried today and I'm giving it to God, because that's the accurate way to get through fear. Or, you know what? I used to, and God took it away, so praise God. Like, I just don't have that thing anymore. And those are light statements. Instead of her waking up every day and just saying, God, give me more light. And instead of just, she's matured beyond just being a recipient of light. She's become a child of light. She's exuding light. And, and with all of our biggest problems, sometimes they're like these sinkholes, these black holes, and we're just like, God, please help. God, please help. God. Pray that God helps in such a way that those exact things become light. We are light. We were darkness. Identity statements, who we are. And yes, it's in a jar of clay. And yes, we make mistakes. But that shows God's 
goodness. And when we love the people around us, it shows God's kindness. And when we walk along this lifestyle and someone says, well, you know, I don't know. I think uh, I kind of like Buddha's teachings a little bit more. Like Buddhism has this like contemplative approach to things and I like the meditation of it. And I like to say, okay, well, let's compare those two because I would compare Jesus to anybody any day. Let's just like think about that. What does Buddha teach? What does Jesus teach? Did Buddha ever, 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 ever stand up and say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. No. No. Buddha himself specifically said, like, I am not an all-knowing, all-powerful person. This is just enlightenment that I've received. He claimed to be a man. Jesus didn't. This light of the world is a God statement made by a human. And if one of us stood up in a crowded place and said, I'm the light of the world, before everything created or existed, I was there and here I am, like, that's a crazy person. Unless it's true. Now, Muhammad himself even said, like, for, so the whole Muslim religion, its founder, like, I know that uh, I wouldn't have any of this unless God told it to me, and I'm just a man, and I'm a mortal, and I'm weak like everyone else. That's not what Jesus said. And so we get afraid sometimes of just saying, like, his light is the best way. His life is the only way, because we feel like, well, how do we relate to people who feel differently? Well, like, have that conversation. Sit down and talk about Jesus. Because his way is the best way, and everything he says is good, just go for it. Everything he says is bad, just stay away from it. Walk in the light as he is in the light. So we're going we're gonna to close, and we're going to close by asking the music team to come forward for a closing song, and by me reminding you of a toy from the 1980s. Because this is the like, mental picture I've had in my mind all week about living as light. Do you guys remember the light bright? Yeah. Turns out it was invented in like 1967. It's way older than I thought, but it was popular in the 80s. That's when I remember interacting with it. But it's this plastic board, and it's got the light inside of it, right? And they have all these little plastic pegs. And when you pl- plug the peg into the board in these little holes, the light comes out and it illuminates the peg. And so whatever color it is shines brightly. I was just thinking, like, that is such a cool way to think about Jesus illuminating us and us illuminating the world. Like, apart from him, we're these little lifeless plastic pieces, and we all have, like, our own color and shape, right? We have talents, we have skills, we have personality, we have a thing that make us, but you don't really come alive until that light that is Christ comes into us and shines. But it's not our light, it's his, but without the pegs, without a way to, like, connect it to the world, you don't see the picture, You don't see the image that God is creating. You don't see the visual that you get at the end of it. You step back, oh, here's the picture. And I think God like plugs us into these little holes and and the purple pegs turn brilliantly purple and the red pegs turn brilliantly red, not from their own light, but as a way to show the thing that they've tapped into. So if we are not tapped into that board in the first place, we have no light. We might have a sort of life, but it's going to be a darker life and it is not eternal life. And it will not give us clarity. It will not be true. It'll just be stumbling about in the darkness. But if we plug into Christ, that life that he has illuminates us. We become what we are designed to be. The workmanship that God created us to be before he created anything. He knew us and made us that way. And put us all together, all of our little pegs, like the picture that God is painting of the New Hope family. Like, what will it be? The picture God is painting of his church in the world today. Like he's in charge of putting the pegs where they go. He's in charge of making the pegs. But for us, it's time to commit. It's time to plug in. I feel like for so many of us, it's too easy to say, well, I know. 
But are we committing? Are we really plugging into Christ every single day, every single decision, every matter, full 100% life commitment? Well, then we're going to glow. We're going to shine. And that will be our way of life. And everyone around us will not just look and say, oh, what a nice purple peg. They'll be like, oh, that person is glowing. And look at part of the bigger picture that they're a part of. So I want to say a word of prayer for us. I don't know what we all need in this conversation individually. That's between you and God. But if you are not lit up, if you are not illuminated, if you are not filled with light, then that's a connection problem. You're either laying in the tray at the bottom waiting for someone to help you instead of plugging yourself in or not realizing that there is no light apart from this board. There is no light apart. There's like nice people and like, okay, so there's no life. There's no light. That's a one person, one, one way kind of deal. But for others of us, like maybe we are plugged in, but we've gotten a little bit of loose over time. We're kind of like hanging on to the board. We're not really where we need to be. I encourage you to commit. Commit to your faith like you never have before. Commit to it every single day. Make it the driving force. Make it what lights you up. Make it what makes you so brilliant to the world that when people look at you, they're like, wow, look at that picture that God is building with all of us imperfect little plastic pieces. So let's say a word of prayer and then let's sing together and help God to make us lights in the world this week. Jesus, thank you for the light that you shed. It's just perfect. It's what we need to see when we need to see it. It keeps us safe from pitfalls that we weren't aware of. It shines light on the ways that we block you, that we oppose you, even if we don't mean to, or maybe we do mean to, but you you show it for what it is and give us a chance to put down our guard, to confess and say we love you and we're sorry and please help. But also you give us life and you give us joy, you give us celebration, you give us brilliance, you give us true, deep, saturated colors that are are beaming light out of us through no merit of our own, but because we plugged into you. Please do that for this church body. May we shine in the darkness the way you do. May it be active. May we actively send out love and prayer and peace and vulnerability and courage and all these things as we imitate you. May we walk in the light. We are light in you. Help us to walk that way, Jesus. We thank you for being the light of our world. We thank you for being the light for us. And please call us more and more into your, uh, your light so that we can shine on your behalf. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.